0: They're not going to buy place, are they? Even if it's boned.
1: (laughs) My bananas often rock hard for 15 minutes. It's a box that goes bleep. And it goes bleep far enough that a spaceship hears the bleep.
2: It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard, Leopard,
1: Leopard. Welcome to Beware of the Leopard, the podcast of the book of the radio series of the parody of the book. I'm Mark Steadman, and I'm only doing this because I'm like your robot.
2: I'm John Vans, and I'm as nervous as hell but trying to hide it by striding purposefully.
1: I'm John Hickman, and I can navigate the infinite delta streams of future probability. we finished the D section with a discussion on Douglas Adams, so... Let's crack on with our first E. Earth is a planet that was destroyed five minutes before the most important experiment in the history of the universe. Given the popularity of the theory that suggests we're all living in a simulation, Mr Bounds, do you think there could be something to Adams' idea that the Earth is just a giant computer? There's, there, if the, the
2: old world, the world where things were either true or false, black or white... Uh, the whole world where the politics was a zebra crossing uh, and, um, you know, if you stood in the wrong place, you'd get run over. <laughs> but the, today's world where everything is just, not just 50 shades, but many, many, many shades of grey. There's a problematic <laughs> thing hiding around every corner. There's nothing, there is nothing digital about our world. Uh, there's nothing binary about our world. Um, I, I don't know. I've not I've never really understood the idea of quantum computers, but... I don't know if either of you two.
0: But you you and know. I have um, constructed a number of uh, random generators in our time. Um, you know, I've got, uh, I think I've done two or three pages for Paradise Circus, a website we run together. You've got, um, you've done a few Twitter bots for Paradise Circus as well, which are just taking things and gluing them together. So actually some of those things that sound chaotic are really easy to generate. Um, Programmatically, so I don't think you should be too hung up on on that. You know, we could make a generator that takes a list of actors' names and then a list of outcomes. You know, dead or tree dot com, and then deadorutree dot com, <laughs> uh, um, and then and then spit out some events that would happen that people would have to respond to in in various ways. So, it's I yeah, I don't I. I think you can create a quite a complex system without, um, too much effort. So I, 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 plugged a little webpage that I built last, last time we were on the show, which is the, the Tesco advert generator. And for people who haven't seen it, these are these really smug adverts where there's a picture of, um, uh, a sort of, uh, uh, you know, if you squint your eyes a bit, they're probably fairly attractive person of, of indes- indeterminate age and sexuality standing there holding a dish of food and presenting it to you and saying that it's an adjective plus adjective um, ingredient dish. And uh, that's really easy to build a corpus of data that can take the absolute piss out of it. And I think in 30 minutes of writing in words that amused me, I came up with three and a half million (laughs) combinations. So
2: it's. Have you, have you seen the one where they've really uh, given up? Like all the things are like, person that you might know and they're something to do with their life that you don't you have to project onto food dish Who's in the one where they've completely given up and it's just like dave he's really good with carrots <laughs> and it's like um he's uh, and he's in a sort of like um Tesco uniform because he's the one who's responsible for getting your carrots to it's not really even carrots it's probably fish. They always make a big thing about fish oh, don't they? Supermarkets. Yeah, so I've never ever seen anybody buy anything that was
0: fresh fish. Sainsbury's, Sainsbury's have I've had a thing recently where they've been producing videos about um uh a, a, again a kind of an inoffensively looking sort of generically attractive young man on the deli counter who will cut an avocado for you. Uh, <laughs> Which is kind of pushing it onto the uh, out for the millennials there because they're not going to buy place, are they? Even if it's bones, <laughs> they're they're gonna... that,
2: that that avocado shit goes up really quickly. You'd have to rush. Well, on. that's the thing, isn't it? You'd have it? to have, a, have a, a police escort to get an <laughs> avocado useful. He's, he's not going to sell the ice creams going at that speed, but he might be delivering a fucking avocado.
1: It's the same with bananas; like they're they're they're, they're rock hard and then you hit that, that you know, sort of 15-minute window where they're edible, and then they're just brown.
2: My bananas often rock hard for 15 minutes, and then it goes brown.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Did anyone else's
0: dad, whenever there was uh, blues and twos going off down the road and a car went past you, did anyone else's dad say, oh, well, they're taking the chips back to the station? Oh, of course, yeah, 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 chips getting cold. So that's what they're doing with the avocados now, isn't it? The millennial cops. The young, the young, the, the police are getting younger every day. So there's, uh, there is somebody in the station who's got, um, tattoos up of his, up his forearm and a very, very well-groomed beard. And, uh, he's, he sent a young PC. What, what, what are they called when they're, um, a special,
2: you mean, or, uh, a-
0: well, maybe like a special. I was, I was thinking more like a prospect, but that's a biker gang. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Someone once has been fished, a hook. A hook. Yeah, a police, police trainee's been sent down to uh, Sainsbury's to get uh, his mate to prepare an avocado for him and take it
1: back because Sarge wants one for his tea. Uh, right then, let's talk about sex, baby. Eccentrica Golumbits, the triple-breasted whore of Eroticon 6, is a published author, having penned the work The Big Bang Theory, A Personal View. Some people say her erogenous zones start some four miles from her actual body, but this got me thinking about sex in pop culture, and so I wonder, Mr. Ickman, Mr. Ickman, (laughs) um, have you ever um, fancied a character in literature? I'm actually on the record within The Leopard
0: um as, as fancying a character in literature if you catch my name. You are. Um
1: so I I, I had Now I don't know whether that was canon because I'm I'm not sure whether that was in uh uh the hitherto unreleased pilot. Oh, okay. Okay. Refresh but refresh even, us anyway. even though even oh. so, please do refresh refresh us our memories. Yes. Um I I had a crush on Fenchurch. There you go. I think that's, uh, yeah, I, I, it's completely
0: understandable. Um, um, she was, I, I can, I could totally see why, uh, Arthur fell for her. And, um, I was very in, in, invested in, in that idea because, um, she's, she's cool and she's clever and she's funny and she can fucking fly. So, <laughs> you know, <Yep. laughs> um, what else are you going to do? But I, I, I've, I've got other, I've got other literary crushes as well. I mean, do we want to, Let's let's let's
2: I have to uh, say that the um, Eccentrica uh, Galumbits book now sounds a lot bad when it now sounds like an episode by episode guide to a sitcom that's gone off the boil.
0: (laughs) Or like one of those philosophy books that we talked about a few (laughs) weeks back where (laughs) you can actually get a contract with a proper publisher (laughs) to write cod intellectual work about uh, TV shows. I did think the same thing, yeah. Um what do we think about eccentric gullum bits as a, a as a character? do you think you would write that now um is it is it unwoke
1: or is it ironically woke i think it's i think it 's unwoke but not to an egregious degree I think you probably A writer, um, I think, with the brain of um, Douglas Adams – well, that would be Douglas Adams – but someone who was writing um, clever, funny sci-fi now probably wouldn't make that joke, but I don't think it's one that we have to strike from the record. I'm in a strange position as a part-time audiobook narrator. I've been in the interesting position of actually fancying a character that I've had to read – um, and it was a, a a sort of um a female best friend to a uh a gay um a male gay lead and so i was uh, obviously playing all the parts
0: <laughs>
2: while you were reading
1: it. <laughs> oh yeah mate absolutely playing a blinder um As I was, as I was reading, uh, this through, I, I ended up developing a bit of a crush on this, on this female best friend, um, because she is kind of exactly the, like the, you know, the body type and the everything is described and then her, like her, um, uh, her attitudes and her, you know, her sense of humour and all sorts of various things. Her downplaying of, of her own intelligence, uh, you know, a, a, an interest in pop culture and, and various things. It, it it just, yeah, it was one of those where I sort of finished the book and went, oh, yeah, I think I quite fancy this character.
2: There's, there's something problematic, though, isn't there? It's about fancying or falling in love with, which, you know, it can happen as sort of a, a fictional character in the fact that you're falling in love with someone. that only doesn't exist, but is a product of someone else's... Uh, brain is some sort of wish fulfillment. So I, I was thinking the only, okay, quite close to, um, I don't, we have recommended it, uh, Billy Liar, uh, by Keith Waterhouse and the character in that of, uh, Liz, who is, uh, Billy's sort of, um, on off girlfriend, who is a very much a sort of 60s free spirit and tries to tempt him to go to, uh, go off to London and, uh, and make his own way in the world. But it never really happens. And I'm,
0: but, so another manic pixie dream girl. Then, yeah, I would really. have thought so. Yeah, but um, that's e- in terms of the in terms of the pure sense of what the archetype uh, has been described as. That's what they do, isn't it? Yeah, I would have thought so. And that is um, even more sort of uh, wound up
2: in the film version where she's played by Julie Christie in a um, sort of very sort of uh, yeah uh, floaty and confident way. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's uh, but then I was th- I thinking the um, well, the problem is, of course, I think, with the uh, the word literature that uh, Mark uses in setting the question, because it just made me thinking about. Uh, I'm not sure I fancy anybody in uh, Shakespeare or in any of the uh, Chaucer things that I haven't actually read, but pretend. But well, pretend of, I do. none of
0: them washed, John. None of them washed, did
1: they? That's the that's the thing. And they were all played by men. <laughs> So, since it would appear that you like sci-fi, perhaps you'll like this recommendation of a book by Felicia Day. It's called You're Never Weird on the Internet, and it's about the life of the online personality and nerd favourite. Felicia created her own web series as a way to make writing and acting work for herself and has since gone on to much acclaim. The book's great and you can get it in your ears instead of your eyes by going to audibletrial.com slash leopard and taking advantage of their 30-day free trial, which also entitles you to pick up this book or any other book. For zero monies. Uh, they've got an unmatched selection of titles to choose from, so if you haven't already discovered the pleasures of audiobooks, this is your opportunity. Just head to audibletrial.com/slash leopard and get started. And to let Audible know that we sent you. And from the presumably all-natural Ms. Golumbitz, we now move to some semi-sentient silicon. A couple of weeks ago, we put up our poll to cast Eddie, the computer aboard the Starship Heart of Gold, and I can reveal that with 5% of the vote, it's Graham Norton. Uh, with 11%, we have Bruno Brooks, but equally tied for first place, with over 27% apiece, it's Sarah Milliken, Stephanie Cole and Ringo Starr. So... In order to break this tie, the three of us are going to have one minute to make our case, and we will let you, the listener, decide on Twitter. So, I chose Millican, and that means I'm going to go first, and my time starts now. I think Millican is a great choice because, as we discussed uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, she is... Uh, she can be very nurturing when she wants to be. (laughs) (laughs) Ten points to Gryffindor. She can be very nurturing when she wants to be, um, but she can also be... Uh, very acerbic and she can make fun of the rest of the crew and potentially uh, the the cybernetic uh, devices on board as well and I think that would make for something a lot more interesting and it also gives us the chance to have a, an, an actual other female character um because there's you know there's there's no we we really don't have a gender problem here at all and it would be i think absolutely wonderful to see uh someone like Milliken inhabit that role because she is funny she is uh talented i don't know if she's actually done any acting but i feel like she should she would do that kind of thing very well now since john bounds picked stephanie cole you're up next to defend your choice and you begin in 3 2 one. So Stephanie Carr has the most wonderful radio
2: uh, voice and personality. Uh, in terms of uh, visual uh, work, you may remember her from such works as uh, "Waiting for God," the uh, sitcom about two people who shouldn't really have been in a care home but were, and also uh, "Tenko," which Danny uh, refused to believe was a real series um, when I mentioned when I put forward uh, originally. But on radio, she she pops up in all sorts of things. She's in Ed Reardon's Week, which I think is wonderful. And she's also in um, Cabin Pressure, jumping and More sitcom, which I don't really like, but lots of people uh, do. Um, but what, what she does brilliantly is she is able to um, let you know that she's f- absolutely above whatever's going on. She knows everything without making you uh, think that she's uh, is smug she's she has a great uh... but anyway yeah she she, she do a job uh,
1: and since mr hickman wasn't here for when we made the decision uh, when we were when we were casting i'm afraid you are left defending ringo star so john your time is this danny's choice no this is mine as well um, right. your time begins now,
0: John, we'll do this in the style of Stuart Lee and uh, Normando Iannucci or um, or your man from the day-to-day. Um, John, why? Well, Ringo,
2: with peace and love, cares very deeply about you, but not enough to actually intervene in any of your shit.
0: We're making a film here, John. Come on. We need someone who did, does give a shit. Ringo did a brilliant job on Thomas the Tank. He made you believe that those trains were trapped. Okay, I can get jealous for 10% cheaper. So 15 seconds. <laughs> no, um, I, I like what John said there. That does, that does make sense. And he doesn't get emotional in the way he speaks, Ringo Ever. If you, especially if you watch the other, especially if you watch Thomas the Tank Engine. So it's not a, it's not a bad shout, John. Well done for getting two in the top three. Um, that's, that's all Mark. That's all
1: we, that's all we've got. So to cast your vote as soon as you hear this, just tweet. At BTL Podcast with the hashtag Sarah, Stephanie, or Ringo. I was going to go with the surnames, but I couldn't be bothered having to spell them out and then count all the misspellings. Uh, and we will reveal the results in a couple of weeks. So that is Sarah, Stephanie, or Ringo. And if there's a tie after that, we will make them fight to the death. And now, could somebody get the door? Edmund Lucy Fentable is the doorbot of the Starship Titanic, voiced by Jonathan Kidd. He's the first character you meet when the ship crash lands in your house. Mr Hickman, what does Douglas Adams have against houses, and why does he keep wanting to destroy them? Right, firstly, you know you're
0: posh when one of your names is androgynous.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, he's differently gendered from the gender you were assigned at birth. So so that that's the basis of the of the Tesco
0: generator is that I got a <laughs> list of androgynous first names. Um so that's weird, but
1: then what's offentable as well? And why does he have such a posh name when he's a robot? And and a robot who's a minor servant. It's it's quite an aristocratic name for a very, very menial, if slightly charming and very slightly condescending um robot. It's the name of a mountaineer that's down on its luck. Yes, absolutely. Uh now I'm gonna have to press you. Uh, for an answer, what does Douglas Adams have against houses?
0: So from a basic plot point of view, it's it's just a way of sending characters on their way. But there's something interesting when you think about the house as symbolic in terms of the idea of an Englishman's home is his castle. And I wanted to put that to the group and say, is that worth any further thoughts? You're right about sending sending characters on
2: their way, but also you've um you it's part of at that you know you were uh, you create a space a home a castle as you as you as you mean, and then you've got nothing when you've got nothing as Bob Dylan says you've got nothing left to lose as uh, so yeah everything's gone none of um y- well, Arthur isn't um, romantically attached before he has to leave. He doesn't obviously seem to care that much about his dog or his cat because it's just. <laughs> <laughs> Still undecided as to which. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't, um, he, you know, he doesn't grieve them particularly. Um, he doesn't even know what species they are. So. <laughs> but it's, yeah, so it's something that um, you can. It, now, yeah, if he was pissed off about um, his uh, stereo being broken or his. Hmm. Um, I don't know, losing his first edition copy of...
1: Blood um, on Tracks, his favourite <laughs> Dire Straits album.
2: Or anything like that. You would think, Arthur, you're a prick, mate. Uh, that's, not, that's not worth anything. But the house is large enough uh, and personal enough to make you th- you know, feel that loss.
0: There's a really nice irony there, which is that um, a, a home is valuable because... Um, there are only so many houses to, to go around. And for me, the way I've always thought through the phrase, an Englishman's home is his castle, has always been linked to scarcity because, um, whereas if you're, if you're in America, there's uh, a lot more land around, land is cheaper, houses are cheaper. You can get, you know, you always hear about people in Florida with a 20 bedroom house and it costs them less than a two bedrooms, two up, two down in Erdington. Um, in in England, although we do still have tracts and tracks of land, huge tracts of land, huge tracts of land. Uh, tracks of land. Um, there is still like the scarcity thing. So there's a really, really delicious irony if, an Englishman who's aware of the fact that the plot of land is more valuable than the bricks, and that's his. He's got it, and then it gets taken away from him. Gets really, really angry. But then he gets thrust into the universe where the scarcity
1: of three or four hundred square feet just seems insane. It's the scale thing again. It's 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 Adams playing with scale and yeah, um, and, and what that does. I, I yeah, I, I like that, and I also. I also think it's an interesting point that um Mr B brought up as well in in, in that which is quite Arthur specific I think in that it it is interesting it's never really mentioned but he's not a man given to a lot of personal object attachment um he doesn't seem to really miss anything you know he wants his tea but that's just you know, there are worldly things that he that he holds dear, but they're they're sort of English ideals. They're tea and cricket. Um, those are the only two things he seems to really miss or revere. But you you know, you're absolutely right. He doesn't then think, oh, you know, crap. Where's you know, where's that book I really like, or 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 whatever. You know, I mean, if it were nowadays, we'd have this awful. We'd end up doing an awful bit about. Uh, you know uh, uh, about his phone not working anymore. I mean, thank God that the film was made before the smartphone, because now we'd just we'd end up doing a horrible. There'd be a thirty-second bit about his smartphone not working, and you know how is he going to recharge it? And can I get a centillium battery power? You know, like just some awful. Yeah, no,
0: no. Ford would do some space magic like the Doctor did. It's fine, yeah. and then the phone would the phone would work. Speaking
1: as we were of destruction, have a look at this weapon. From the turret of the electron ram emerges a sharp prong, which spats a single lethal blaze of light. A scout robot demonstrates the use of such a weapon when talking to Marvin, who's trying to distract the robot so that his friends can run away. Bounder, have you ever created a diversion? I'm going to say yes, but... But look over here!
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but first... Oh, but... So farce, um, the distraction is the basis of um, lots of farce. And despite quite often having to quickly put my trousers on when the vicar turns <laughs> up, um, the uh, farce is not particularly a part of my... Um, Your repertoire. My sort of my repertoire, not particularly. But um, I was just thinking that um, it's also quite unusual in uh, books because it's uh, farce relies on layers of knowledge and stuff, which is... Different to is difficult to do in particularly in a sort of omniscient narrator, uh, book but almost impossible in a single or close narrator uh, literary style. So, I was thinking that this is definitely a section where Douglas was influenced by the great P.G. Woodhouse, Sue's Jesus Muster stuff is probably the, the, the epitome of brilliant, fast,
1: done, written down. I think I read that on the back of a book jacket. Brilliant, fast, done, written down. <laughs> so, picture the scene. Uh, England had got
2: to the World Cup in 1998, was holding Southern France, which meant lots of people who didn't normally uh, travel to World Cup thought they could get over. Uh, Me and some people I know got quite a lot of tickets for England's game against Romania in Toulouse, uh, which was uh, a lot of fun. I was uh, driven down by my friend Dean, who refused to let anybody else drive in his car because it was his car. And uh, Nicky, who I shall sure remain nameless except his name is Nicky, was um, having a accent-prone um, holiday, and we'd got to the game. We'd had a good old drink in the square, and there was lots of England. no hint of trouble at all at this point. There was lots of England fans and Romanian fans and local French people, and everybody's having a good old laugh. It's like a festival of of, of sports, and we're getting towards the ground, and we're giving out the everybody's giving out their own ticket. So at this point, everybody's holding their own ticket. And because it was a, a fairly high security game, there was a series of barriers. So a series of uh places where you had to show your ticket. Um, we got to the first one and uh Nikki my ticket's gone. And he basically had his ticket nicked from him as we were walking up. So we then shit, what we're we gonna do? So the first barrier, it was quite easy to go past. So lots of we all went past and they weren't tearing the ticket. So we all went past and one of us slipped a ticket back to him, and he came through on the same ticket. We did the same at the next sort of barrier of stewards. You slip a ticket back, and then we eventually got to one the where they were going to tear them. So, what are you going to do? As it happened, Nikki was carrying a large wooden sheep with the word "shearer" painted on it. <laughs> so, I went to the policeman that was guarding the thing, and in my uh, pidgin French, I said. Uh, uh, say la mouton oui, and like trying to because uh, can we take the sheep through? I was trying to say my really bad French, and eventually the policeman got so pissed off with us. He said, "Just get—you th- cannot take that sheep. Just get through that gate." And we got him through, even without his ticket. And then we got to the final bit as you're getting into the ground, and this is where they're really going to look. And I got a handful of coins, uh, you know, like little cent pieces and stuff, pre-euro, I suppose. Uh, any pennies or whatever and as I was handing my ticket pulled out of my pocket and pretended that pulling out of my pocket the ticket had made all these coins scatter across the floor lots of people tried to help me pick them up or nick them or whatever I don't know and while that was happening Nicky just wandered his way through into the stadium so he got him into the stadium to watch the game without a ticket proper uh, fast distraction, burglary
1: almost and uh We lost (laughs) 2-1. That's... uh, mm, I can't... Yeah, that's wonderful. (laughs) We talked last week about Douglas's love of animals and conservation. So this week, we're going to take a look at the concept of de-extinction and whether this would be something Adams would be on board with.
2: So de-extinction, someone will have to explain to me. Um, So is that a little bit like um, Jurassic Park? Which I've not seen. It might surprise you to hear, but I'm aware of
0: the concept of. Or- Have you really not, though? Have you really not? Okay, it's quite good. Yeah, no, it is. Gen- genuinely, it's good. The new one is not very good, so it's not quite the same as uh,
2: what is happening in a few places, which they call uh, rewilding. No,
0: it's not. It's not the same thing, but it's got it's got some of the same problems. So,
2: so the best bit about the best bit about rewilding is that they basically they pick. It seems to me they pick big animals that people might be a bit scared of and put them back where they used to be. Uh, and there's some, there's been some brilliant stuff about how uh, the reintroduction of wolves into uh, certain places has changed the flow of rivers and things because um, of how their behaviour has changed the movement of deer and stuff. And that's that's really quite fascinating. I'm not quite sure why we
0: want to do it. Okay, so the the quagga. The quagga is one. The quagga is one that they're making progress on. So the, the quagga is a sub of zebra, and I, in what I understand of it, from a back of a bottle of wine that I had once, that was South African, and the the wine house was called Quagga, and it told you about the history of the animal. Essentially, it's like we've all got cats, right? Now, imagine if the calico tabby was no longer a, a genetic trait that presented. So we lose that colouring. But supposed supposing you could get John's black cat to mate with Mark's other cat, and then the baby of that to mate with my white cat, and then you might get a calico your back because you can chart the in genetics. And so you're really just making more cats with different coats. That's what I understand is happening with the quagga. So the quagga is a um is not a species. It's just a colouring of zebra, and it's basically it's got a brown bum
1: and a different face. So it's essentially like if we lost all the pugs, and then someone found the. I mean, maybe maybe this is different because most dog breeds that we know are artificially created anyway. But let's let's uh, let's imagine that they weren't, and and pug is a real thing, um, and you know wasn't just sort of created in a lab um and we 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 go back and we find these various combinations you've not really made something de extinct you've just you've you've gone you've just gone a bit retro like it's not a different it's not a whole new species of animal you've just gone here's a star, here's a flavor of dog it, we've brought back raspberry ripple because, or, or we've brought back um, Szechuan sauce. You've got, no, you've gone yeah. and
2: created Oasis uh, based on the fact that the Beatles once existed <laughs> and you just know there's something about the
0: hair, right? If we all just played the same notes, we'll eventually get there. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what methods you take, you, you're going to be changing environment. So like, you know, John talked about the rewilding thing and that gives us a clue as to, as to what happens. So there's, there's a consequence and our agency as humans comes into play no matter what happens here. So what would Douglas Adams as a conservationist have thought about that? Intervention
2: in conservation is, it's accepted we do it, right? It's fine. So at what point is it become not fine when you've got, if you can rectify a mistake, it's, but it's perfectly fine, isn't it? So it's, um, although the flip side Uh, A lot of um, Last Chance to See is opining wastefulness in changing the environment. So the introduction of predators to New Zealand, which caused problems for the Kakapo uh, and so on, because, you know, there were no predators that were going to eat that fat little pigeon thing, um, parrot. So, you know what I mean? So, yeah, can we atone for our mistakes with this sort of stuff? I'm not sure.
1: Right then, time to hitch a lift. An electronic thumb is a sub-ether device without which an interstellar hitchhiker would have as much chance of survival as a Welkinus supernova. Mr. H, how does one of these devices work? Okay, so if I was going
0: to uh, create um, this device now, uh, there are many devices which I might pattern it after. Um, so have you come across these uh, Bluetooth beacons, these emotes? Yeah. So what you might do is you, you might look at that as a model and you might say, well, okay, we've got this this uh, this idea of low voltage, um, low power consumption devices that just kind of go, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And when something's listening for them, it goes, oh, you're there, you're there, you're there, you're there. And then a connection is made and, uh, and things happen and, and stuff happens. But there is an assumption in that model that the um the person who has power in the relationship who's passing through the space wants to see what the emotes is cooking um, and that's actually I don't think what the thumb is actually about, so there is some material in the canon about some um aspects of it which are not perhaps as Ford first suggests to Arthur. So when Arthur gets it out, uh, not when Arthur gets it out, when, when Ford first goes, oh, I'm hitching a ride, we're going to do this thing, blah, blah, blah. And Arthur's kind of going with it and Ford's kind of go, this is fine, blah, blah, blah. Let's kind of hitch a ride. Let's go with this thing. I'm going to send a signal out. And boom. D-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d. And then you're on a ship. And then there's some negative ramifications for for using it in terms of, well, you know, oh, we don't really like hitchhikers coming to see my poetry, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we start to see that the thumb is actually a hacker device. And in my uh, understanding of where, uh, where Douglas may have come from in terms of writing this, I see it as being an analogy of the, the sort of equipment that freakers would have used on payphones.
1: Well, I, I i think that's a I, I, I like that as um as not necessarily an observation but as, as an idea but i think I see it differently because he's really he's really signaling the dentrasse because it's the Dentrassi that let him on board, and they do so because partly they enjoy the company but also mm-hmm. it, because it annoys the vogons mm-hmm. and so to me. I see it more as a signaling device and it doesn't necessarily need to sort of jam or hack into any signals because it would be communicating on a frequency uh you know to which the uh Dentrassi would be listening.
0: But there is stuff within canon where this is this is hijacking systems and this is actually actively taking um ac- actively making the hitchhike happen. Mm. Um and and that's where um it, it may be a, a slight retcon, mm-hmm. but because it happens later in the cycle. But um, that, that's that's where I, I where my uh, my thinking of, of of the device is that it it is here's a piece of public infrastructure which is the Sabitha network, um, which is g- being used for navigation currently, and that actually we can make navigation happen in a way that's beneficial to us, so that. Uh, points on the network can close in our favour. Okay,
1: but how does it work? Well, according to the Hitchhiker's uh, Wikia uh, article, the electronic thumb was a short squat black rod, smooth and matte with a couple of flat switches and dials at one end. It allowed hitchhikers to flag down passing spacecraft to hitch a lift. The signal was akin to an emergency signal in that it was omnidirectional and limited in range. The success one achieves in attracting a passing spacecraft depends on two things. The proximity, sensitivity and active mode of the spacecraft's receiver and the desire and willingness of the craft's occupants to put up with a hitchhiker for the next leg of their journey. But how does it work? Um, it's It's a box that goes bleep. And it goes bleep far enough that a spaceship hears bleep. (laughs) And alas, that sound can only mean we've reached the end of another episode. Mr. Hickman, where can people go to find more of you? The internet. Aha, to the internet! Just type John Hickman into the internet. No, don't, because you'll
0: find the other John Hickmans, because there's the one who killed the Human Torch and the other people. He's a Jonathan, though, isn't he, sir? Um at john hickman on twitter is probably the best place
1: to go j to the o to the n what about you bounder oh just um i'll pop over to
2: uh pop and uk and um Assuming I uh, think about something, I might write something on there that hasn't been uh, published elsewhere before.
1: And that just about wraps it up for The Leopard. Do get in touch to share your thoughts. All the links you'll need are at btlpodcast.com, along with all of our past episodes and show notes. You can email us at uh, feedback at btlpodcast.com as well if you would like to get in touch thanks again to audible for sponsoring this episode don't forget to pick up your free audiobook and start your 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com leopard and we would very much appreciate a review a star in overcast or any other way that you can make us feel special we will be back next thursday so until then share and enjoy
2: In, intervention in um intervention in uh con-
0: intervening, intervening,
2: intervening. Intervention intervening. in intervening. Intervention in uh converse oh, fuck off. He's <laughs> still- in- one of us Start sentence. fucking hell, what do they call it? Uh it begins with a C. Intervention
0: in cons- conservation. Conservation. Do you want to do a clean one? <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs>